0: Welcome to RevMD, a podcast created for healthcare professionals by healthcare professionals. We will share tips on medical billing and coding, as well as workflow optimization to help practices succeed, thrive, and grow revenue. As you guys may have seen, things are getting ready to change for documentation around shared and split billing with advanced non-physician practitioners starting next year, so 2023. So a question I often get is, what is shared and split billing and how is that different than incident to billing? So today we're gonna talk a little bit about each of these concepts. So that's shared and split billing as well as incident billing and direct billing. So we can really clear those up. This is an extremely important concept because you don't wanna get flagged as being inappropriately billing by a payer, which could then trigger a payer audit and even worse, a payback if you're doing this wrong. You can guys can go listen to the payer audit talk, which I did last week, if you haven't already. So we all know how integral physician assistants and nurse practitioners are to practices and healthcare today. And so for the purpose of today, we're gonna to refer to both as NPPs and recognize that incident billing and shared and split billing isn't limited to those, but that's just what I'm going to reference today. We've all seen practices bill inappropriately for these visits, and I've even seen some have to pay back upwards of six figures in back payment, and it's not even uncommon for then the payers to flag those practices and then result in either prepayment audits or other types of sanctions to make sure that you're doing it correctly before they pay you. So now I never suggest that we underbill just to be safe. To me, I think this is all about us understanding the guidelines and the changes that are coming down the pipeline in 2023, whether that's with Medicare or commercial payers, so that folks can do it correctly. So for starters, there are three basic types of reimbursement that Medicare provides for non-physician providers. These are direct pay, Incident 2 billing, and shared and split billing. I'm going to go over each of these. And while I am reviewing specifics around Medicare, many commercial payers will follow similar rules, but they can also be different. So it's important that you understand how your payers deal with each of these. First, direct pay is when the NPP holds their own provider identification number. So This reimburses the MPP typically around 85% of the billable physician rate for Medicare, or otherwise just depending on the commercial contract that you have. It's very important that each mid-level provider has their own MPI number and is credentialed with each of the payers under that number. Now, It used to be that payers were not credentialing NPPs, and so they had to bill under the physician. However, that's not the case anymore. The NPPs can get credentialed and get their own MPI number, and so that's why things kind of got muddied because you have direct pay abilities for the NPPs, again, at that 85% rate, but then you also have the ability to have the NPP bill under the physician as an incident to billing. So number two, incident billing is a way of billing outpatient services, and that's important, rendered in, in an office setting where the NPP is providing the care. And we're going to go over those rules of what when you are allowed to do that. Now with incident two billing, the physician bills and collects 100% of Medicare's allowable reimbursement. So this type of billing is used when an NPP sees a patient in which the physician has already performed the initial service, they've created a plan of care or treatment plan, and then the NPP is then following up on that patient. Now, when filing a claim incident to, the physician, like I said, is going to collect that 100% of the fee schedule instead of the 85%. For example, new patients should be seen by the physician to set up that plan of care, and this would then have to be billed under the rendering physician, and the physician would actually have to do that entire visit. Now, after the initial visit, that's when the NPP can provide that follow-up care based on the plan of care that the physician created and then bill direct care as incident two. If adjustments are made to any plan of care with a patient, such as medication changes, then the physician's actually going to have to come back into the room, see the patient face-to-face in order to adjust the original plan of care. Otherwise, that visit really may not qualify for incident two billing. Now, incident two billing was developed by Medicare, and not all commercial insurance carriers follow those Medicare guidelines. Therefore, knowing the payer regulations regarding incident two billing is really important for you to make sure that you're billing appropriately. And last, I'm going to talk about shared or split visits, which are now defined as E&M visits in the facility setting that are performed in part by both a physician and NPP in the same group. According to CMS, a facility setting actually means an institutional setting. So this could be something like an inpatient hospital location, outpatient hospital location, ED, or even a skilled nursing facility. Now there are some nuances that are coming down the pipeline for 2023 for documentation of these and how they get split up. But I'm not going to focus on that today. Today, I'm really going to focus on the incident billing for outpatient practices, but I promise I'll do another shared split expenses for facility billing soon. First, I'm going to walk through an example that we saw and I had to share, and you guys can guess whether it's appropriate or inappropriate. An office utilizes NPPs to perform an initial office... Documentation reviewed by the billing department indicated that a non-physician practitioner performed the initial visit, and then the supervising physician documents a note in the medical record similar to something like the following, I've reviewed the physician assistant's note, examined the patient, and agree with yada yada, or something along the lines of nurse practitioner performed the history and physical, and I was present the entire encounter, and my treatment plan is as follows, yada yada. I'm going to share that this is actually an incorrect use of the NPP with regards to incident billing guidelines. An initial history and physical was performed by the NPP, and although the physician documents that they were in the office suite or immediately available, it is actually not covered under the incident two guidelines for Medicare. As we will discuss, the physician must perform that initial service. And this includes the history and physical examination portion of the service and the treatment plan. It is expected that the physician is going to perform the initial visit on each new patient to establish that physician-patient relationship. So you're going to see payers who will deny or downcode claims for initial visits billed as incident two when these NPPs are performing that initial history and physical. So, today I'm gonna help review and explain some of these Medicare definitions with regards to Incident 2 services and the criteria you must use in order to bill properly. As always, each commercial payer is gonna have their own rules, so you're gonna wanna make sure that you understand your own payer contracts. And that's really going to be key, and understanding when they're changing things, because it may not always be when Medicare is changing things. CMS defines incident to services as services or supplies furnished as an integral, although incidental, part of the physician's personal professional services in the course of diagnosis and treatment of an injury or illness. Now, isn't that fun, right? I just love CMS definitions, which to me just never seem that clear. So I'm going to go over this um, more clearly in my own words. So in order to be covered incident two, the physician service, the following criteria must be met. So services must be integral, although they can be separate or incidental. These services are typically furnished in a doctor's office or a clinic, and they're furnished by the physician or auxiliary personnel under the physician's direct supervision. Now incident two services must be performed under the direct supervision, and they say that direct supervision in the office setting does not mean the physician's actually in the same room. It just means that they're present in the office suite and immediately available to provide assistance should something be needed. Next, I'm going to walk over each of the specific re- requirements to qualify for Incident 2 billing. Please note that this is for educational purposes, of course. and This is using m- publicly available materials. But if you do have questions about billing and coding, please make sure that you're talking to your dedicated billing and coding team. Medicare pays for services rendered by employees, which can include independent contractors, when these criteria are met, meaning you can't have folks billing incident to if there's not an employment agreement in place, if they're not part of the same group. So you'll want to make sure that that's uh, in order first. Now, of course, that's probably the easiest of all the things uh, to meet. And of course, remember that Incident 2 services, like I've said, are at that 85% of Medicare fee schedule versus the 100% when there's direct billing by the physician. So I'm going to step through the six basic requirements to meet these Incident 2 guidelines for Medicare. Number one, The service must take place in a non-institutional setting. Like I mentioned, this is other settings outside of a hospital or skilled nursing facility. So I'm really focusing on the outpatient world right now. I'll do more later in another podcast on inpatient and shared split billing as well. Number two, Medicare credentialed physician must initiate a patient's care. So just like I shared with our example, the physician must do that initial Care to establish that physician-patient relationship and come up with the diagnosis and the treatment plan. If the patient has a new or worsening complaint, then the physician must conduct an E&M service for that new issue or complaint, so that then they can establish the diagnosis and plan of care. Now, again, this is just to do the incident two billing. I'm certainly not saying that that has to be the case with all visits. It's just the requirement in order to do the incident two billing. Number three, after the initial encounter, so which is where the physician's establishing care, getting the treatment plan, etc., then the NPP may see the patient for follow-up care. Direct supervision in the office, again, does not mean the physician has to be in the same room. It just means that they have to be in the same suite and immediately available. So they can't be elsewhere. They can't be out doing rounds or whatever in order to do the incident to billing. Now, when you think about your workflow in the office, it may mean that these incident two billings are extremely rare for your practice because the physicians can bill directly. They can see their own patients. And while the fee schedule may be lower, it may help from a workflow perspective just to have the NPPs bill direct and be independent and crank through their own patients. Again, this really depends on your subspecialty, the physician's practice, the workflow, and how you guys have structured seeing these patients. Number four, a physician must actively participate in and manage the patient's course of treatment. So the exact requirements are usually defined by the state licensure rules, but this really has to do with the physician supervision of the NPPs. Number five, both the credentialed physician and the qualified NPP Providing the incident to service must be employed by the group entity billing for the service. So that basically just means that you want to make sure that you have some sort of employment agreement with the NPP as part of your overall group. And last, number six, the incident two service must be the type of service usually performed in the office setting and must be part of the normal course of treatment of a diagnosis or an illness. Really, this is just saying do what you should do in the office setting. Don't try and do hospital things in an office setting and do incident two billing. So again, nothing new here, but did want to add that as that is the sixth requirement for incident two billing. Now, services meeting all of these six requirements may be billed under the supervising physician's NPI as if the physician personally performed the service. Documentation, of course, is going to need to detail who performed the service and that a supervising physician was in the office suite. Although, again, they don't need to be in the same room, but that all has to be the case at the time of service. So I'm going to run through another couple of important reminders so CMS does state that immediately available means without delay. So we consider immediately available to mean that the supervising physician is actually in that office or patient's home readily available and without delay to, dis- to assist and take over care if that were to be needed. The physician and non-physician practitioner cannot hire and supervise a professional whose scope of practice is outside the provider's scope of practice as authorized under state law or under professional qualifications. So for example, if you have a certified nurse-misswife, then you can't hire a psychiatrist to oversee, for example, that certified nurse-misswife, midwife. You just want to make things make sense, right? I mean, you wouldn't have that go on in any other normal circumstance, so you're not going to want to do that with your billing. Of course, please always make sure that you're taking a look at your own state rules and regulations. When it does come to the relationship between the physician and the non-physician practitioner and oversight, etc., that's going to be extremely important. And if you're in a group, any physician member of the group may be present in the office to supervise that NPP. Now, of course, this all relates specifically to incident two billing. This may not be how you structure your office workflow, it just means that if that's the case, then you can't use the Incident 2 billing. I'm not going to go over home visits or homebound patients as those are beyond the scope for today, but if you are seeing patients in those settings and trying to bill Incident 2 services, please make sure you understand those rules and regulations around this. Next, I'm going to go over a few situations. So I'm going to give the situation, who it was performed by, I'll do a little pause so you can think in your head, and then figure out whether or not that billing should be Incident 2 or not. So first, I'll start with an easy one. Established patient with no new problems, visit is performed by the nurse practitioner. Can this be billed as an incident two service? So you're right. Yes, this can be billed. If the other incident two requirements have been met, then this may build under the f- supervising physician's MPI number. Second example, you got an established patient with a new problem, but only the MPP saw the patient. What do you think? You're right. They must be billed under the NPP MPI and not the physicians in terms of incident two billing. So you have to do direct billing; cannot do incident two. Third example is established patient with a new per problem, but you have both the NPP and the physician in the room. Now this may be billed under the physician with regarding incident two, if the other requirements, of course, have been met. So you're going to want to make sure that documentation supports that you had a face-to-face visit with the physician as part of that encounter, because they're going to have to be the ones who change the course of treatment with that new problem. And of course, the physician must sign his or her entry. So hopefully those three examples kind of clear up some of the muddied water when it comes to incident two billing. I'm gonna go over a couple other common questions and examples that I found that were really good. So the first has to do with a general practitioner who has a Medicare patient with hypertension and diabetes that they saw in January. They see the patient, they create the plan of care, And then the patient returns for follow-up in March with the nurse practitioner. At that follow-up visit, however, the patient complains of knee pain. And while the physician is in the office, the MPP evaluates and treats the patient for their knee pain. Now, in this case, if the nurse practitioner had only evaluated the hypertension and diabetes, for which there was an established diagnosis and plan of care that was done by the physician, then this would meet incident two requirements. But because the physician did not personally perform the new complaint initial evaluation, so right, of the knee pain, then the physician is going to not be able to do incident two billing. Now, of course, as long as the MP is credentialed and has their own MPI number, then they'll just do direct billing for specifically for that situation. Another example is when you have joint injections. So say a PA performs joint injection the question is, can you report those services under the Incident 2 billing rules? If the scope of the PA, of their practice, and regulations in the state office allows PAs to perform joint inspections, then the determining factor is whether the Incident 2 billing rules are met. So, for example, if the physician previously set the plan of care for joint injections, then yes, they could be reported as Incident 2 if the PA is performing them. Now, If the PA made the decision to perform the injection independently, then that's going to have to be billed as a direct service. Keep in mind that these incident two rules really are for in the outpatient setting, not in the inpatient setting. And that's going to be a different place of service. So again, I'm not going to go over that today, but joint injection procedures cannot be split or shared in that facility setting. So again, that's for a different discussion. The last question, do I need to use a modifier to tell a payer that I'm reporting a service incident two? Now, Medicare does not require a modifier for incident two billing. Beginning in 2022, however, there is going to be a modifier required for split and shared services performed in a facility setting. But again, that's facility setting. I'm going to talk about that at a different time. So I hope this clears up a lot of discussion around incident two billing What makes sense when you qualify for it? And again, it may not always make sense to do incident two billing, especially as the PA or MP is working completely independent, and that may be better for your workflow. It just depends. But there are circumstances when you can bill under the supervising physician's MPI number where it may make sense for you to get that additional bump with regards to the Medicare fee schedule. Again, today I went over Medicare fee schedules, but please note that you want to make sure and understand incident to billing rules with your commercial payers. As always, I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. I'd love for you guys to go leave us a review on Apple Podcast if you can, and If you guys are looking for a new medical billing team, we are located in Denver, Colorado and service the entire United States and would be happy to chat with your practice, especially as we finish month end of August. And as you're looking at your metrics and trying to understand, gosh, could we be doing a better job? Then it may be time to have a conversation and understand changes that can be made. So again, reach out at info at national revenueconsulting.com should you have any questions. Thanks so much.